<laughs> That's what we're doing. We're putting poison into our bodies. It That's literally funny. has a, a poison thing. Today we have Josh Norfleet and Greg Weens. What's up, guys? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. You guys got a new podcast? We do. We're it's Eat, a- Sleep, Rock, Talking. Eat, it's Sleep, Rock, Talk. Very exciting. When uh, when did you start the podcast? We've been recording for three weeks now. I think is that about right? A month, maybe. Yeah, close to a month. We uh, have been maybe have four or five episodes in the can. We have four episodes in the can for sure. Yeah, and um, the first one is out though. It's on um, if you go to the Sleep Rock Nashville Instagram page. in our bio there, the if you just click on the link, it will send you straight to the first episode. Soon it will be out on all streaming platforms. All we're, platforms. We're dealing with the uh, iTunes, Spotify. You know how it is when you release music. Oh, yeah. You got to get the RSS feed up. Yeah. It yep. takes takes it a minute. They got to make sure we're legal and all that good stuff because we say the F word in it. What kind of podcast would be illegal? It, <sighs> Uh, <laughs> maybe you're on one right now yeah. <laughs> we'll soon find out yeah uh who was the first guest the first guest i believe it was it's a combination the first is kind of just greg and i the first episode is just me and josh we have a our format alternates so it goes between me and josh talking about rock topics to interviewing a guest one of our well not even necessarily friends but a band around town you know that's playing out and doing interesting stuff and we want to put out and promote them on our platform that's the goal that is definitely the goal is to there is a thriving rock community in nashville and we like to you know discuss it be a part of it we also talk like what greg was mentioning we we did an episode where we talk about um the Blacklist album from Metallica and all about that and Bonnaroo getting canceled and other festivals. Again. 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 That was, it was interesting, dude. Do you think Do you think that had anything to do with COVID? I think it was straight up the rain. Yeah. I mean, it might have been COVID. Who fucking knows? But you remember a couple of years ago what happened with Pilgrimage. Because of Did rain, it? yeah. Yeah, it got fucked. Gotcha. They, they had like a couple of people come out on stage and I think it was like Lionel Richie, and then he he d- played like a short set or something, and then was like festivals over because of the rain. They had to or end maybe, it on Lionel Richie. Yeah, it was either him or Chris Stapleton or someone. But it happened like it. That's the same thing. Uh, something similar happened. So I bet they were trying to avoid a situation like that because you also got to think that it's a safety issue of trying to get everybody out. True. Right. You know. Well, I've been in that situation before. Trying to get everybody out in the middle of a rainstorm. And this was that was at Hangout Fest on the beach in Gulf Shores, Alabama. It was during 21 Pilots set, and they cut it short, and they tried to shove 30,000 people out of the same exit. Oh, fuck. It was wild. Sounds disastrous. It was. It was raining like hell. Everybody was screaming and running. There was this cool moment where we were all sardined and like the, trying to get out the exit, and somebody just started singing Just a Friend by Bismarck Key. And then everybody started singing it. Everybody started singing it. It was great. It was one of my. Remind me, moments. did you get your money back? No. So the rest of the festival went on. They just canceled that night. Uh, see now, if I, because pilgrimage is, I don't think it's that expensive. 
But I feel like if I bought pilgrimage tickets and it was like before Chris Stapleton went on and it was Lionel Richie and there was a Lionel Richie set and they're like, it's over. I'd be pissed if I didn't get my money back. Oh, yeah. I think they they had to give the money back um, for some of the people. I don't know how it ended up all shaking out. This is also a pre-COVID world. True. So uh, I feel like the insurance is probably different now for shows. I yeah. bet it is. I, I wonder if there is. I'm sure Live Nation does have like a, a, a crazy insurance policy now. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it. Uh, I've read a little bit about it, but it sounds like it's not in favor of the artist. Surprise, surprise. So especially such from a Live bummer. Nation. Yeah. That's such a bummer. I mean, because we're all out here trying to make it, and that's what... That's what people pay to see. That's the only reason people are coming to your festival. Right. You know, is to enjoy the music. And it just seems so shitty to take advantage of the people who are making your money. But that's America, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, that's the music industry in a fucking nutshell. Screw the artists. Stay independent. Don't fucking sign. Never. Don't Never. sell out. Don't be Green Day. Green, Green Day's pretty happy, though. <laughs> I mean, once Billy Joe Armstrong went to rehab, they seemed to be doing good. They just got, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they had that that mega tour. It was them, Fall Out Boy, and Weezer. Yeah. We talked about that on our last podcast yeah. that we recorded. Yeah. I bet that would be f- uh, a fun show to see. It would be. It, uh, it re- It's like a whole middle school takeover, dude. That's the thing for me, though, is I would I would want to hear the old songs. Everybody does, dude. Yeah. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I just, <laughs> I don't know if I would enjoy it as much if I hear, you know, Fallout Boy come out and and do a Dead Mouse set. Yeah, I mean, do you guys like any of those artists, like new music that they've came out with, like any of Fallout Boys, Fallout Boys' new music or Weezer? Or... I haven't really, honestly, listened to it. I mean, I'll listen to to whenever Weezer puts something out new. I will listen to that. Like they had that album that they did that was like. Uh, it was all classical music inspired. Right. There was no electric instruments on it. Well, there was like electric bass, but they had that one song on it. Um, all my favorite songs. Do you know that one? All my favorite songs yeah. are slow and oh. sad. Mm-hmm. That was a good song. That was a good song. There, I don't know, dude. Like, there's some of that new Weezer stuff that I'm not a fan of. Well, they had a weird period from like 2000. Seven, eight to like until very recently, where it, it sounded like the label they were just trying to do what the label wanted. Right, you know what I mean? Because they like that had to be from like the red album to the the white album was the last Weezer album that I was really excited about. I like the red album. I, I like was, the red album too. I was a fan of that album. A lot of people shit on them, but they were experimenting. I can respect it when an artist goes like left field from what they usually do. It was still Weezer, but I like that song. Um, I am the greatest man that ever lived. Yeah. That was a cool. That was a cool song. That, that is, is cool one. to see someone like Weezer to have like really big success in the '90s and still just making music. Period. You know oh yeah, I mean? you know, right. absolutely. Like like that that album. I can't remember what that album was called that just came out. The classical music inspired one. But it was really fucking good. I, I listened to it a couple of times, and that song, that single is the one that stuck out to me. But everything was pretty good, you know. It was them trying something new, which I'll say, like Green Day doesn't really do that. Fallout Boy doesn't really do that. Green Day more so does the same thing they've always done, 
And Fall Out Boy is much more like you were kind of saying, like the dead mouse, like electronic kind of set. But Fall Out Boy was my first concert. Really? Was it? Where at? Portland, Maine at the Cumberland County Civic Center. So they were the headliners and uh, All American Rejects was on the bill. Oh, yeah. Nice. From Okies. first to last was on the bill. Hawthorne Heights was on the bill. And then this wow. band called The Hush Sound were on the bill. They were all like fueled by ramen artists, kind of like that emo era. For sure. Um, but yeah, Fall Out Boy was pretty good. That was right when the, the Pete Wentz uh, dick pic scandal happened. Do you guys remember <laughs> oh, that? Vaguely. Vaguely. Because yes. he talked about it on stage. What did he say? He, like, issued an apology? No, he didn't issue an apology. He was just kind of like, shit happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was Which, the very early days of dick pics. Yeah. Yeah, that was vintage dick pic, dude. It was uh, <laughs> 2004, 2005. It was the, uh, the Black Clouds and Underdogs tour. I think that's what it was called. What, nice. Were they promoting a certain album? Or It was uh, from Under the Cork Tree. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, okay. they, like... It's funny, too, to see, because they were blowing up, but at the same time, like, they could probably sell out big theaters, but they were able to do arenas once they added all those other bands to the bill. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a good show. I mean, they had Pyro and all of that. Um, but yeah, that was my first, like, rock concert experience where I was like, I'm going to see a rock show. That's badass. Yeah. Seeing that year of Fallout Boy. Yeah, it was before they got all... A pop and shit. Um, All American Rejects was good. Hawthorne Heights was fucking good too. I bet. I bet. That was before that dude died, the screamer in the band, because he died eventually. He overdosed on like Xanax or some shit. God. But he was still alive, so they were still uh, still going. Ohio is for lovers, right? And Pete Wentz talked about his dick. And Pete Wentz talked about he his said, dick. Sugar, we're going down <laughs> swinging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever gone to a show just for the nostalgia? Like, it's not something that you necessarily listen to anymore, but... Um, no, not really, honestly. I mean, I would go definitely see Weezer, just because they, they were, like, one of my favorite fucking bands in high school. Yeah. Um, I've seen Green Day before. I mean, I would go see Green Day again, too, because they put on a great fucking show. And you go to their show, and it's just hit after hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they were a really good live band. It, it, it's more so like they're an arena rock band now, like a proper arena rock band. Rather than punks. Exactly. And yeah. you have seen Green Day. I have seen Green Day. I saw them on the 21st Century Breakdown Tour back in 2000. I was still in high school, so I think it was like 2009 maybe. 2008. I think it was the summer before my junior year of high school. Interesting. I did see Weezer with Panic at the Disco back in 2016. How was that? That was that was interesting. So did Weezer opened for Panic for the Disco. No, which was really weird to me. I thought that was weird because Panic at the Disco had just come out with Death of a Bachelor, which me, you know, Brendan Urie at the time was like peak popularity since I write sins not tragedies. Yeah, and I got to the show and yeah, Panic at the Disco was opening. And the the stadium was full, or the amphitheater was full. Tons of people there. But they were all, like, 14-year-old girls because they just discovered Brendan Urie. And when Brendan Urie was done, like, at least a quarter of the crowd just dipped. Wow. Holy shit. Well, that shows 
how big that album was and that they recruited a bunch of new fans. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because they were another band that was like, we're going pop. Because eventually Panic at the Disco just became Brendan Urie. Right. Yes. Did you guys ever hear the Young Veins, which was Ryan Ross and John Walker's band from Panic at the Disco after they left? No. No. It's a great fucking album. It's called Take a Vacation, and it's uh, really Beatles-inspired. Like, early 60s um, Beatles, pre-acid Beatles. Oh, okay. Uh, so a lot of the tracks, it, it reminds me of the Kinks and, and just shit, other shit like that. British Invasion shit before drugs took hold. So, like, pre-Rubber Soul. Pre, uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, pre-Rubber Soul. Okay. That's interesting. It's it's a great fucking album. Like they wrote some really good songs and they got good at um at figuring out like how to write those kind of formulaic Beatles sounding tunes. Dude, have you seen that Paul McCartney documentary? The one with Rick Rubin? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? I'm almost finished with it. It's wonderful. Where's that? It's on a Hulu. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's called Three McCartney Three Two One is what it's called. And um it basically just goes through the songwriting career of Paul McCartney and they're just sitting down with tape going through and Paul's just like, Oh yeah, me and John just one day on Abbey road, we sit there and did this and, and just gives these like quick little clever stories. And it's just so cool. He's such a master man, such a master. Oh yeah. There's no one, no one else like Paul McCartney. I mean, you could argue that he's the greatest songwriter of all time. And after a while, you know, it's like, you hear something so much and you get kind of numb to it. But every now and then, like I had a Beatles day the other day. I was just driving around listening to the Beatles and I'm like, fuck, they were fucking good, dude. Yeah. Still to this day. Yeah. Holds and in up. seven years, their entire catalog released in seven years and they achieved everything they did. That's insane. Who are you guys' favorite Beatle? Who would you pick? George Harrison. How about you? That's a tough question. It's between Paul and George. I would say John Lennon because I like John Lennon's music a lot, but John Lennon, admittedly, you know, is he, he was a shitty guy. He, yeah, it was a piece of shit. He was a piece of shit. Um, I would say, I want to say I'm a George guy, but really I'm a Paul guy. Um, John has always been my least favorite Beatle, but I like it when John gets dark. Yeah. Yeah. And he sings about heroin and shit. Right. You know? Right. I feel like first the Poptimist songwriting though, you embody a McCartney style writing. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me in songwriting, the big turning point was getting into um to Rubber Soul. Cause I list I listened to a song like I'm looking through you, you know that one? I'm looking yes. through you. And that's like Nowhere Man, right? Um, Rubber, yeah, that was, that was a John song on that album, which that's a great fucking song. I do like that song a lot. Nowhere Man? Nowhere Man, yeah. Great and song. The other one I love on that album is You Won't See Me. Yes. You yeah. won't see me. Because it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of Motown a little bit. Like it his is. bass line is like a Motown bass line. Um, and just the melody, it kind of almost reminds me of like Smokey Robinson or Stevie Wonder mm -hmm. when they were young. You know what I mean? Paul had a really cool story about um, Michelle. And uh, I forget the exact details. Watch the documentary for it, but kind of talks about uh, this guy that Paul and John would like go see play. And he would do this chord on the guitar that they play in that song. And... Um, 
the story of how Paul came up with like the French part, and he said he only really wanted to sing in French to impress girls. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a really funny story. That's yeah. so funny. The Beatles needing to do something to impress girls. Oh man, it's so crazy to see people act like that towards artists. You know what I mean? I know that are, that are playing instruments. You mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially nowadays. Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, people freak out that way for like Machine Gun Kelly or any of those people, just like pop radio people. Oh, dude, I remember Wait. I took uh, both of my sisters to Louisville, Kentucky to see Justin Bieber. Oh, and we as the show was over and I went with my parents to pick him up, his bus was leaving and a herd of girls were chasing his bus down fourth avenue in louisville and that's wild i looked and my sisters were leading the fucking pack dude wow were they crying and shit oh yeah <laughs> Gr- girls were hysterically bawling crying they could not believe it they were just so emotionally overwhelmed because they saw justin bieber what do you think sets those artists apart because you've seen that with the beatles you've seen that with michael jackson you've seen that with now justin bieber like three people who three artists who like share nothing in common why why these artists i think they have a certain uh x factor that appeals appeals to people you know what i mean i i think and it's like i've never really been a fan of justin bieber's music per se he has a few good songs like i like that song uh, love yourself that's an amazing Me too. amazing tune. song ed sheeran wrote that song yeah um but i uh i don't know what exactly it is i think there's just something there's something for an artist that has staying power too. You look at someone like Paul, who is the oldest out of all three of those, um, and he he just has had a career. And like, I don't always love what Paul McCartney does. I'll like listen to it once if he releases something new. Um, even a new album, there might be one or two songs where I'm like, yeah, it's a good Paul McCartney song. This is kind of off topic, but remember this? Uh, it came up on a playlist of mine. You remember that? It was Kanye West, Rihanna, and Paul McCartney. Remember that song? Oh, yeah. Which is not a bad song it's, either. Yeah. I love that song. I really like that song. Only one? Is that what that yes. one is? And I remember the when that came out, the internet was like, man, that is so nice of Kanye West to give this guy, Paul McCartney, like a rise. You know what I mean? Of course. <laughs> That's the same thing that happened with Ozzy and Post, Post Malone. Malone. Yeah. People, all the young kids were like, man, that's cool of Post to give this old man like some help with his music career. <laughs> Ozzy's going to blow up now that he's been on a Post Malone track. Well, it's smart marketing because you're introducing like all those all those people who said that, then they Google Paul McCartney. Right. A certain percentage of them will Google Paul McCartney and they become Beatles fans. And they'll become a right. Beatles fan. Do you think that's contributed to the diversity in people's interest in music lately? Because I've noticed that People are listening to a broader range of music in general, and that's partially thanks to streaming as well. Yeah, I would say it's that for that very reason. You know, like things are almost uh, more—it's uh, more widespread, and you can cast a wider net. You know, and it, it's based like so much of music is based off of uh, what, whatever mood I'm in when I when I'm listening. You know, sometimes I'll go and I want to listen to something instrumental, so I'll turn on like. Minahan Street Band. Sometimes I'll want to listen to the Rolling Stones. You know, it it all just depends on whatever mood I'm in. And we have the complete access for it. And I think it's a very positive thing. A lot of people see it as a bad thing and complain about it, but I I don't think it's bad at all. 
I don't either, especially for consumers. Like you said, I have been able to listen to music that I don't think I ever would have listened to otherwise if it wasn't for streaming. Right. Well, it makes it possible too for smaller independent artists to make a living. No, true. Like one of my favorite bands today um, is the Growlers. They're I love gr- the Growlers. They're yeah. a great fucking band, but they are not signed to a major label or anything like that. You know, they're just kind of doing their own thing and doing their own tours and they have a booking agent and all of that. But really, if you look at it, like their biggest album was probably city club, which was produced by Julian Casablancas. And that's a great fucking album, but it's definitely more of a pop album than their prior works. Cause their shit's more like lo-fi, you know? Yeah. And that's something we talked about on our podcast as well as like, you know, you call it rock still, even though it's more poppy or, you know, has these different influences. But, I mean, the definition of rock or any genre in general changes over the years. Yes. Drastically. Absolutely. Well, as it should. I think a lot of people are like, oh, rock is dead. Rock is dead. My whole thing is who cares if it's dead? Right. I like it. I still I like, like to rock yeah, and roll. The same. Yeah. I like playing. You know, I, I still like listening. I get excited whenever an artist I love um, is going to release a new album. Like if, if fucking Arctic Monkeys are releasing a new album, I will absolutely buy it. I'll go see them on tour, whatever I can to support them. Right. For sure. I remember I, I think I sent my little sister Nevermind. And I've asked her, I was like, have you ever listened to this? And she was like, no. And I thought she was uncool. <laughs> I was like, you're a loser. It's the 30th anniversary of that album. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. What? I remember the the kid on the cover. He made a big political stunt. What's the update on that? I I don't know. I don't his really, it, I don't really that, Exactly. Yeah. That answers your question. Right. I, that's <laughs> probably about as far as it was going to go in yeah. the first place. He wanted to get his... Quick five seconds of fame. He's and probably starting a podcast or some shit now because of it. Right. <laughs> Would you have him on if he started a podcast? I don't know. I mean, I don't really think too deeply about who I have on and who I don't have on. If he, if he seemed interesting, yeah. But if he's just going to like complain the whole time and talk about how he was wronged, then no. I don't care. Yeah. Right. Well, you look, he recreated the photo several times right. since social media has been around. Yeah, like, he's that re- was right. He has re- recreated it, and if anything, I feel like he should get mad at his parents, right, for agreeing. Like, yeah, sure, you know what I mean. Would you? So the question, the real question is, would you throw your baby in a pool for two hundred dollars? He's on the cover of Nevermind, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that that's the greatest like rock album of the nineties for sure, right. Absolutely. And the cover, just that cover itself. It's iconic. It's iconic now. You yeah. know what I mean? He's, his picture is iconic. Do they know that? Did they know that in advance though? Probably not. No, I don't, I don't think anybody saw Nirvana coming. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that, uh, it, it was, yeah, never mind is what really like blew him into the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they killed hair metal with that album right it was over it was over no more hair metal no that was the cool thing to do now yeah which i'm sure pissed kurt cobain off to no end absolutely i think that he had a lot of punk rock diy ethos yet he was signed to a major label but you could also argue well he was signed to a major label and it exposed people to a bunch of good music right and it was pre-internet i think if kurt was probably around today he would just be solo and independent because he wouldn't need a label yeah right he'd be his own thing 
Or he would have just, he's the kind of dude too that strikes me that he would have retired for 10 years and then all of a sudden just released an album. You know? Oh yeah, kill it. Something You're, totally different even. Yeah. Nirvana would have broke up, I think, but I think um, they would have gotten back at, like, together at like Coachella or some shit. Right, do a special set. Now if, say, Kurt was still here with us, do you think the Foo Fighters would exist? That's exactly Probably right. not, yeah. honestly. I mean, uh, Dave Grohl, he might be doing... He would probably still be a session guy and play yeah. on other people's records. Um, he might have had the Foo Fighters. Who knows, though? I mean, it's a fun what if. But yeah. we could have lived in a world where we got a lot more Nirvana, but there would be no Foo Fighters. That's sad. Right. Is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love Foo Fighters, bro. Foo Fighters have some good songs, I, I will say, but it's just like they're releasing the same album over and over. I will agree, I with, agree that. with that. Wasting Light is like peak Foo Fighters. Yeah, that, that's, that's their best album. album, in my opinion. It's just like track after track. It's the, the best complete statement album. Because after that album, wasn't it where they went to like each studio? And that was a, it was a cool idea, but... The songs weren't that good. No, I mean, it was like, let's play with the dude from fucking Cheap Trick and record at Sound City or some bullshit, you know? Right. Yeah, I never really liked that, but I agree. Um, Wasting Light it has like Walk in these days and uh, what was White that? Limo. White Limo, dude, That's, that hard rock song. Yeah, that album was very diverse. Probably the most diverse of theirs, in my opinion. I agree Which with I that. liked. Mm-hmm. And they recorded that whole thing to tape, too, and Butch Vig produced that one. Is that the one they did in the garage? Yeah. That's, yeah. See, that's even more badass. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I really like that one. That's that's my favorite Foos album. I was, uh, I was dating a girl at the time. I had a girlfriend, and that album had just come out. So I was listening a lot to that album. Um, I was listening a lot to Suck It and See by Arctic Monkeys, and also... Uh, Arabia Mountain by Black Lips. Have you guys heard? Oh, I like Black Lips. Yeah, have you heard that album, Arabia Mountain? No, I haven't yet. I just recently started discovering them with like Vinny Vitti Vici and um, oh, Occipital Front, and like those are the those are the kind of songs that I've listened to so far. Yeah, so Arabia Mountain is their most quote unquote pop album. It was produced by Mark Ronson. Really? Yeah. Oh. And they recorded it, um, some in New York, and then some with this dude, uh, I think the dude from Deerhoof, maybe? I can't I can't remember who the other dude was. He recorded a couple of songs. But yeah, it, it's a pretty fucking good album. They have some great songs on there. I need to check it out. Check it out on the way home. Yeah, man. I, I remember, I think I was in high school when that Foo Fighters album came out, and I'm trying to think of what else I was listening to. I love Sick Puppies. I loved that band. They're still together, but piss poorly. They like got rid of their front man and guitar player, and he's not as good. We covered Sick Puppies in a cover band I was in in high school. What song? Uh, Riptide. Oh, it's a great song. Yeah. That was that album. It was called uh, Tripolar is what it was called. I, uh, for me, I think looking back, it's like I, I see this amalgamation of all the music that I would listen to in high school, and there's some stuff that, still sticks today uh but there was stuff that i hated back then that i love now that's true dude there i was like that with pop music i back then i was not listening i when i was in high school i started to really dive into rock music and heavy metal and harder rock 
Um, and I really wasn't listening too much of what was considered like pop radio. You know what I mean? But now I love that shit. I will go back and listen to an old Justin Timberlake album or Britney Spears even. You know what I mean? Well, they're, they're crafted tunes. Yeah. You know and I mean? that's what I've realized yeah. is that these are well-written songs. Yeah, I mean, a, a big part, such a big part of like the 90s and early 2000s was Dr. Luke, dude. Dr. Luke. Yeah. The alleged rapist. Yeah. And he did that Doja Cat song, Say So. Yeah. Did he really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know he was still getting work. He, that was like his big comeback. When they released it, uh, he had like a, a fake name that he released it under. And then once the song was big, he's like, okay, it's Dr. Luke. Wow. Greasy, dude. That, that is, is greasy. greasy. Because fuck him for what he did to Kesha. Yeah. Allegedly. (laughs) I don't want to get sued. Yeah. Allegedly. But he allegedly also did it to all the other pop starlets of that era that he worked with. Disgusting. Katy Perry, Lady Gaga. (sighs) Katy Perry, man, is probably my favorite out of all of those. Oh, yeah, dude. I was in love. I was too, man. And that album she had, dude, that had like mega hit after mega hit on it was that what was it called teenage dream teenage dream yeah do you do you ever feel like a plastic bag some i mean (laughs) when i'm listening to Katy perry sometimes she makes yeah she's wonderful the but every song that she has came out with her singles is just like whoa these are all really good songs i like teenage dream and i like the album before that one of the boys yeah one of the boys that had that guy, uh, Butch Walker, he produced and like, co-wrote some of the tracks. That name um, sounds familiar. So he was in a band called The Marvelous Three, and they had like they were kind of like a one-hit wonder. But he's more of like an indie darling now. Um, I think he might live in Nashville. I think he's the guy who owns the, uh, the studio, the old James Brown studio on Dickerson Pike. Really? Oh. You know the one I'm talking about? I'm, I might be wrong about that. But that's just what I've heard. I've never been. It's it's basically an abandoned building now. Like it, it's um, past Walmart on Dickerson Pike when you're kind of heading to Goodlettsville, right? right. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, fucking George Jones recorded there. It's rumored that Jimi Hendrix recorded a session there. No shit. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix spent a lot of time in Nashville. Yeah. I didn't know that until recently. Another friend of ours, Grant Bramlett, is doing like research into the like Black Broadway era of the '60s with, you know, BB King and Jimi Hendrix and all these people coming through and playing in Nashville on their way to the Wonder, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they all they all were playing on uh, Jefferson Street. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, if you guys ever get a chance to go to it, there's the uh, African American Music Museum. And uh, there's like a thing of Jimmy in there and he there's a quote on the wall where he talks about Nashville, where he he talks about I had to learn to play with my teeth because it's hard to impress those cats is what he said. Well, yeah, man. I mean, we're playing most of the time to a room full of musicians, right? Musicians with their arms crossed. Yeah. And they're and they're just as good, if not better than you. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't give a fuck. It's so funny when you play outside of Nashville though, Oh, when dude, people respond yes. and they actually give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. this is amazing. You guys were great. You're like, Oh my God. We played cover. We played Barry Jane's last dance. What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, Back home. Somebody, some guy told me to go fuck myself after playing our favorite song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah dude. 
that is interesting how it is like that. And I feel like it is just because we are such a mecca and a, a pool of artists that obviously all those other artists want to go out and support other people. But also at the same time, it is kind of like we're just playing to other artists. Do you know what I mean? And people that want to have their Nashville experience. Yeah. For sure. You know, I think I think that's one thing that kind of burns me out on it, though, is just being around people who desire to be famous. It's a bad feeling, dude. Yeah, I don't like it, man. I I, I don't like it at all. I mean, we've been playing with Violent Moons now, mm-hmm. um, me on bass and you on guitar. And it, it that's been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun because it's a different kind of gig for both of us. It definitely is, especially for both of us, because we uh, we both, I feel like, have to learn to dial it back. We're not like it's not like my band or Poptimist where we're shred fest. You know yeah. what I mean? We're like all playing impressive licks and we're loud and heavy and we just got to support the vocals, right? Because God, those harmonies are so good. Yeah, those harmonies. It's it's been it's been fun. We just played that gig at uh, the Villager. Yep, and that was fun. Um, different kind of gig for us too, for sure. I've never played there before. That was the first. time. I never played there either. The sound was not the best right but i will say we played super dynamically that night for sure we had to really tone it like hone in on what we were trying to hear yeah the sound guy was very nice though yeah i i don't think it was necessarily his fault yeah it's just he, like it was more of just what they had to offer exactly because it was someone got uh you know their uncle's pa for the for the gig right. you know that that's right. the, the kind of place it is to play a show there right. which there's nothing wrong with that right i had a great time playing yeah it was wonderful i uh i was surprised uh by the drink tickets how they souped us up with the drink tickets for the band yeah so it was a, a lot yeah. I, was, I was impressed i was like usually there's some places in town that you play at and they don't even offer you drink tickets. You know what I mean? Like or food or, or food or, or anything. anything. No pay or anything for wow. exposure. Yeah, just you just they just want you to play, and uh, it was cool. Just like we, I knew we weren't going to make money. Yeah, but it was nice that they were at least willing to hook us up in that regard. Yeah, is it worth it still to play those shows? Like, think about the basement with a two hundred and fifty dollar production fee for a band like this. I mean, you have to pack that room. If you're selling tickets at a price people are willing to pay. Well, I don't know. I really don't know. I think you have to be smart about it. I mean, is it really worth playing shows if you're like somewhat of an established artist to a bunch of other musicians in East Nashville? Yeah, I feel like what it comes down to as well is like, whose show is it? You know what I mean? Right. Like if it is someone show at the basement that can pull that crowd um then sure like because then at that case if i want if they asked me to be on that bill sure you know what i mean right but when it comes to a point when in which we're all guilty of this at early stages of bands where they're like can you bring people and you're like oh yeah and (laughs) um it, it does come to a point where it is i feel like a little irresponsible you know what i mean to play those shows, well, it's in just a sense. it's it's oversaturated. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, and it's different too for the whatever the situation is. Like playing with Violet Moons, they're a new band, mm-hmm. so there's like a lot of hype around them, and people are excited to go out and see them. Or when we start doing your solo shit, people, right, right. people are going to come out to that. But at a certain point, you have to decide. Like the other thing is, uh, all the, the the circuit that we're in, the East Nashville circuit. 
you you're not really allowed to do like a cover set. Yeah. Right. Like if I did like Taylor Berryman's solo band, I would want to just do straight covers. Right. And do a bunch of songs that I've always wanted to do. But it's not really possible. I guess you could do it and just say fuck it, and I would cover like Steely Dan and Arctic Monkeys and shit like right. that. There, that is true. I don't know a cover band that plays strictly covers, but also plays the covers that not other cover bands are playing. Well, it's the Broadway thing too. Like right. The, uh, like, and I, I don't say this in a bad way for Broadway, but it's like you go down there and you every bar you go in, you're going to hear the same songs over and over again. Right. right. And there's more songs than just the pop shit, the rock shit from the past three or four decades. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, why not cover How Bizarre, that 90s song? You know that one? How Bizarre? Yes. How Bizarre. Yes. Like, why not do that on right. Broadway? It's a song that people don't normally cover, and it's a, a song that people normally don't hear anymore. It doesn't get any radio play. Everybody remembers that song if you were alive in the 90s, though. What was the song that Dustin said he wanted the reveal to cover, Greg? Do you remember? There's that Sean Paul. Sean Paul. What was it? Yeah, that one. Let's get it on into the early morning. Oh yeah, he said that'd be no one would cover that song. I'm like, that's honestly a good point. You know what I mean? It's true, man. I think that there's a market for cover bands where you're not doing the typical shit. You know, because feel like there is. Yeah. Do you think that the reason you don't see that in East Nashville is because of the perceived attitude towards it? Or do you think people actually have responded negatively to somebody doing a cover set before? Um, I think they're just stuck-up cunts, straight <laughs> up. <laughs> I think a lot of the people, they're, they're stuck-up cunts. They think their songs are so fucking good. Um, which, you know, more power to you, but it's just like, if you see someone go to a set in East Nashville, they might do a cover or two. Right. Um, that's why I've liked playing with uh, TH3 is because we do like uh, we do a cover of Fuck the Pain Away by Peaches and oh, we okay. ma- nice. mash it up with I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges. Hell yeah. <laughs> so it's just shit like that. I wish people would do more of that, you know, um, and maybe people would respond better to that outside of Nashville. Could be. It could be. I think so. I, I feel like when you go outside of Nashville, you're in front of people who are not always seeing music. And the more things they hear that they like, the more they're going to be into your band. And the things that they like are covers. Yeah. I mean, and you can work in those originals into your set and try and get people into it. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like if you took a crazy cover band down to Florida, you can do anything you'd want to be oh, able dude. to do. <laughs> Florida has no rules. I know no rules. Saying. You can cover whatever you want in Florida. They won't care. No. They'll freak out. I have some friends who play at Floribama occasionally or like down at Tootsie's in Florida as well. And it's like every time people are going like people are going nuts the entire time and it's always packed and people are just going crazy and it's insane. Again, it's it's being away from Nashville, you know, yeah. what I mean, we're, and we're guilty of it, too. We're just so used to it because we're here in this city that's just surrounded by music. Any any fucking where you go, you know, you're going to have someone who's a guitar player. Right. You, you go to a restaurant, your server's a singer-songwriter. You mm-hmm. go into the grocery store, the guy bagging your groceries is a, a fucking drummer. Right. Yeah. So no, do absolutely. you think do you think it's still beneficial to be here or would it be smarter to live outside of Nashville and then come in 
where the big producers and people are who you would work with to put out your music? I don't know. I mean, I, I, th- this is the question I've been asking myself more and more recently. You know, it's like, do you necessarily need to be in Nashville? And to a certain degree, like the way I see it is you can eat up all the resources. They're like crumbs that fall on the floor and you can eat those. You know, I've gotten right. to record at Blackbird three times. I've gotten to record at Dark Horse, some really nice fucking studios, the tracking room, all these places. And it was just because I got a call and I was available that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, fuck yeah, I'll come in and do it. No problem. Right. That is the cool thing about it. And I feel like it's a yes and no answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I feel like, like you said, yes, there are so many resources that you could easily just leave your house and go do something that you would never be able to do in any other city in the United States. But also when it comes to making a living and monetizing it, the people here are trying to do the same thing that you're doing. So ultimately our marketplace really should be outside of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the convenient thing about Nashville is that it's so centrally located, right? It is centrally located because you got to think of all the people that have moved here. There's people from the Northeast, from the rest of the Southeast and from the Midwest. Those are the main occupants of Nashville, the people who live here. Now there's more California people, but they, it's not as much, you know what I mean? They lost their star on the flag. Yeah, dude. they lost their star on the flag that's hanging <laughs> on our wall. And I don't think away. those, I don't think the people that are moving here from California are moving here for music in a, in a general sense. No, I feel like it's more like tech jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's politically driven as well. I've met a few people who are like, I left California to come to Nashville for the politics. They just didn't like paying taxes. <laughs> yeah, straight up. It, right. it, it comes it comes down to the taxes. But the, the thing is that people talk about, too, is they're like, well, now they're going to change all the fucking laws and rules here. In Tennessee? Yeah. Not a chance. You I don't, don't think so? No. As, I feel like... The state, this I feel like the state of Tennessee is honestly a lot like Indianapolis. Well, Indiana, like Indianapolis, is a very which like a, a, all other major cities. Most of the time, they run blue, but the state itself is a red state, and I feel like Tennessee will always be that just because. Oh yeah, of just how rich of uh, what politicians have been in there. Who's, you know what I mean? The known people and... I mean, you go 10 minutes outside of Nashville and it's... Tennessee. Oh, it's Tennessee. It's Tennessee. Yeah. And same goes for Memphis. Like, anytime you're in between... If you're not in Memphis, Nashville, or Knoxville, like, country. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rural in in the other areas. Knoxville's a cool town. Knoxville's a very cool town. I've played there a few times. Have you played there before? I haven't played there, but I've stopped through before. I that's uh that's been the one place that I've played a couple of times since I've lived in Nashville and it's always fun, dude. The people are always cool as fuck. Mm-hmm. I played uh I had played Memphis before, um, and it was cool. I loved it. We played on like Memphis's version of Broadway on Beale Street. Yeah, and um, it was cool. Like we met like people from Australia and just like tourists. You know what I mean? From all around the world that just stopped through and um. It's kind of set up the same way, just a strip full of bars. Like, there's a BB King's, and we played at uh, Beale Street uh, Tap Room. That's what it was called. 
And it was fun, man. Memphis is a cool city, honestly. Do you see a different response in your music when you play places that are more of a college town than Nashville or Memphis? Like Knoxville or, like, say you go to Norman in Oklahoma City. Like, do you see a different reaction than you would on a on a regular show? Um... I mean, it's just a general different vibe for the city, too. Like, again, drawing from Knoxville, that's the place that I've played. I played on a Friday night, late summer, so the college students were back. So it's just, I think it just depends, too, on the time of year. Right. Because you could go there in June, and it could be a completely dead city because all the college kids are away. Right. Right. Because I played um, at Ohio State University. That was the last college I played at College Town. And I feel, and talking to the kids there, they say like, none of this really happens. Like we really don't have a random rock band show up and play. And it made me think, and they loved it. You know what I mean? Cause right. it never, for them, they said this never happens. And I swear to God, dudes, we played in the basement of a Donato's pizza. It was the strangest thing in the world. I didn't even know that, that Donato's had bars. Like it was in their basement. And yeah, we, after playing, uh, uh, the two guys who were the promoters of the show went to school there, you know what I mean? Hyped it up to their friends and, uh, they said they've never really done anything like that before. Right. Well, so you, guys cool went out and, you guys went out and played on the street that day too. Oh yeah. Yeah. We went and bust and like just kind of promoted the show and, um, but yeah, it was, it was cool just to see, uh, a town what they say, this usually doesn't happen. Thanks. We enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Made it seem like it, it was worth doing what we were doing. Yeah. And you got paid. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did make a little bit of money, but we also mostly got paid with drugs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have money. Drugs is fine. Yeah. So where can people find you guys at? You could find me on Instagram at the underscore North underscore pole. Same for uh, Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I am at the only Gregception on Instagram and also only Gregception on Twitter. I don't use Twitter. I pop up every like three or four years to be like, I'm back on my bullshit. I'm going to be shit posting again. And then I don't post for another three years. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And you could uh, follow uh, East Sleep Rock Nashville on Instagram. Get the uh, latest updates on what's happening in the rock scene in Nashville. Like, uh, click on the link on our bio on Eat Sleep Rock Nashville's Instagram page. You'll see the first episode of Eat Sleep Rock Talk. Fuck yeah. Well, guys, thanks for coming on. Of course, buddy. Thank you. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.